0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Hey,
1: everyone. Uh, Welcome to episode two of the Golf Podcast that I think we've almost got a name here, Adam, right? We're
0: closing in on Sweet Spot. The Sweet Spot. Oh, I like that. <laughs> what What are you fan uh, of mean, at the I moment? I mean, I keep coming
1: back to Saving Par. That yeah. is, is something I've been texting you about a lot, and you're kind of maybe warming up to it, maybe not. I think we had Golf Truthers also. You threw that out yesterday. I kind of like that one.
0: Yeah, the reason why I like Sweet Spot is because I think that, especially, hopefully, the way that we go about things is we look at both sides of the argument and then we come back to that middle ground or that place where is i i would deem correct
1: I think we're going to try and take a balanced approach to everything. I mean, in golf in general, there are no absolutes. I always think, you know, especially what we're going to talk about today, it's just everything is a huge gray area. So, you know, our goal is to just give anyone listening to this some perspective. Um, We're not going to tell you something's 100% right or wrong because... Hey, uh, what
0: about that? The gray area. The
1: gray area. Okay, I'm going to write that down. We're going to put these all up on Twitter and we'll have people vote on this. (laughs) Um, So in episode one, we talked about winter practice Um, And just to remind people, uh, this is John Sherman. I'm the owner of Practical Golf. Adam, who the heck are you?
0: I am Adam Young. I am owner of Adam Young Golf.
1: Okay. Um, So episode one, you can go back to it. We're going to have all this up on Spotify, iTunes once we decide the name, but we talked about winter practice. So we thought episode two, we would tell you about um, how to make money trading GameStop and AMC movie theaters.
0: Oh right. man! I put everything in Dogecoin <laughs> last night.
1: Actually, I did Dogecoin, which which I looked that, I actually looked that up. I didn't realize it was a joke, but now people are moving it. Anyway, that that could be. We're not going to be talking about trading stocks. That's uh, that but it's just taking over the world right now. Um, so episode two, what we're going to talk about is it's making a swing change, and I think um that that can be a huge gray area in golf because i think a lot of golfers are always stuck in this pattern of oh is what i got good enough is the grass greener with maybe a swing change so um it's a complex topic we're going to try and give you a few different thought processes behind it and um you know adam as a swing instructor has a lot of expertise and experience uh, working with people on the lesson t and i can talk about my own anecdotal experiences going through swing changes um adam what are you just hoping people get out of this one
0: an understanding of when to make a swing change if if it's needed uh, we can always, as you said, the grass is always greener on the other side. It doesn't matter how good you get. I mean, look at Tiger Woods. There are other tour players who get to their peak and then they try to change everything, change the way they've done it. And some are successful with it. Some are, um, but there are probably more who are not successful and they end up losing what they had. And so it's not to say that the, the grass isn't greener on the other side. it's It's just to be careful with it. Yeah. You could jump over and there might be a big dog over the other side.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing that the two of us don't want people doing is making changes just for the sake of doing it. Um, I, I view success in a golf swing is when you have what I would call a functional pattern that you kind of understand – and at least you don't know where the golf ball's always going, but at least you have an understanding of what you're trying to do with your swing. And when you show up on the course every day, you want to be able to make some adjustments based on what you're seeing. Um, so I thought a, a good place to start on this would possibly be just talking about what do you think is just like a, a basic starting point for, you know, are you a good candidate to make a swing change? Is this something that's worth your time? Because it is going to take some time.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody can be a candidate. You have to kind of weigh up the pros and cons of it. So even if a swing change is a really good idea or the information is absolutely spot on, 100% perfect, you still might not make it. So an example of that might be a tour player. You might not make a swing change before a tournament, right, because they already have an ingrained pattern, and tinkering with that might cause some disruption. It probably will cause some disruption, even as highly skilled as they are. On the opposite end of the spectrum, a complete beginner with no pattern, they'd be perfect candidate because they're a blank slate, really, a blank canvas, so... You're not really going to disrupt anything with them because they're already completely disruptive or, they ha- or disrupted. They haven't had anything yet. So, yeah, with a complete beginner, um, as you go along the spectrum, you just have to be careful when is the right time to do it, I think. Again, if players are out on the course, if they're playing a lot, if they have big tournaments, you've got to be a little bit more careful then because any swing change might disrupt their performance.
1: Why don't I talk about, I thought I'd just share maybe a quick anecdotal story of, of me going through my swing change. Because I think at the time I was a good candidate. And uh, maybe we can cue some like fireside chat music behind this to tell you my story. <laughs> but I'll try and make it brief and not bore you people. But um, I didn't really take up golf till I was 12 or 13. I, I started taking it seriously at that point. And I, I did take lessons, as Adam indicated, as a beginner. And it helped me tremendously. I, I worked really hard on what the pros said. And I made some quick process, progress um, to the point where, you know, I was captain of my high school golf team. We weren't anything special. But I think, you know, at my best as a junior golfer, I was probably like a three or a four handicap. And, you know, I got to college and, and, and walked on a Division three golf team, and it was kind of a mess because I hadn't practiced. And... Um, at that point, I was just losing interest in golf, but I did call, get called up for one tournament and shoot a 75 and somehow came in second place, which I have no idea how that happened. But at about the age of 19, I essentially quit golf for about four years. Um, so when I took up golf again in my like early to mid-20s, I'd say I was completely lost from a technical per- perspective. I wasn't playing much. Um, I maybe played 10 or 15 times a year. I didn't really have any type of framework in my swing. I was just trying something different each time I went out there and it was incredibly frustrating and I, and I wasn't really enjoying the game much. Um, so I was just kind of going from one thing to the next. And after a few years of that, of, of playing horrible golf, um, I finally got lessons again. and. Not to go too deep into that, but the pro kind of took a look at my swing and he's like, all right, you're, you're very vertical, you're, you're coming out to in And like, I literally could miss the ball anywhere. Like when I stepped up to a shot, I didn't know if I was going left, right? I mean, it, it, it really could have ended up anywhere on the golf course. So I really had nothing to lose at that point. And he got me more towards a draw pattern into outswing. And, you know, I put a lot of work into that. It took probably three months of hitting balls um, indoors. And then I went out in the spring and worked on it a lot until the point where I felt comfortable with it. And it was an incredibly successful change for me. And and that was, you know, almost eight or nine years ago at this point. Um, But what it gave me was a framework to work with in terms of my golf swing. Um, I, I, I only hit draws on the course. I, I know my swing path is in to out and I have an understanding of that now intuitively. And since I've learned stuff like the ball flight laws from, from people like yourself. Um, so now that that swing change allowed me to have something to work towards and at least have a basic framework that I could go to the golf course with every day and make small adjustments versus, Again, I was just kind of going from one thing to the next. You know, I didn't really go on YouTube back then, but I think golfers now might do that. They were just exploring one swing thought to the next. Um, so that was a a really worthwhile process that I went through. If I if I didn't go through it, I, I I'd probably. I would have never made the site. I wouldn't be here talking to you now. Um, I would have never reached my goal of becoming a scratch golfer. So it was an incredibly positive experience, but, you know, I did put the work in and, you know, I think that's an example of, you know, when you're just completely lost and you just have no idea what's going on, then like, yes, I think that that's a good starting point where you're going to say like, okay, I need help. Um, I've spoken a lot. So Adam, why don't you step in here and and give some thoughts on that. And and again, how you've worked with with people who are going through swing changes, like where do you start? Definitely.
0: I think lots of people think that I'm an anti-mechanical coach. I'm not. Uh, I started at 15 and I was old enough to be or to approach golf from a very technical or analytical standpoint. So the first things that I did was go to the library and get out every book I could. And some of those were better's golf book, the golf swing. So he, he went through what we call the 11 links, which is 11 different positions. And then I got his protege, Nick Faldo, his book. And he had a similar thing, you know, lots of pictures of the golf swing. And I I think that's very valuable, you know, to get a, like you said, a framework, an idea, a concept of what a golf swing should look like, I think is is a valuable thing for everybody. And so I worked really hard on that. And I used to video Tiger Woods' swing because he was the one who was dominating at the time. And I used to get a dry erase marker and draw on my parents' TV screen. And while they were out, uh, for meals on Saturday nights, I'd be making swings in the living room looking at my reflection in the window. So I was a very, very mechanical player initially, and I think that helped me. You know, I, I think it did get me to that point where I had a framework. There is a dark side to that, though, and I think players can reach that very quickly. Once you've got something that looks like a golf swing, lots of the rest of it can be cleaned up very simply without going too in depth in, into mechanics i think that if if you see mechanical processes of learning work early on it's very tempting to think that if you dig deeper and deeper and deeper it's just going to be better and better and it can actually be the reverse sometimes so
1: yeah and no, i think that's really the i think that's when we talk about like the black and white of this in the gray area is that um, you do want to, again, have an understanding of the swing. And I, and I do think a lot of people can get that from taking lessons and getting customized advice. But at the same time, I think you and me are both kind of in agreement that the people who go down the rabbit hole, like someone like my dad, for example, who's an incredibly mechanical person and he didn't take up golf into his fifties. Like he just wanted to understand every single thing about the golf swing when he took it up. And it really just led to the thing that I don't want golfers to have happen to them is when they're on the course and they're about to hit the shot, they do not have a clear mind. Um, So I guess that, like you said, that's the dark side of it. It's like you do want to educate yourself more about your swing and get to a place where you do have that basic framework. But then there's a point where you kind of have to stop and, and, you know, you have to resist the temptation to keep going deeper and deeper. Because I've even heard stories of tour players who, you know, go see 20 different swing coaches because they're just on this endless pursuit to acquire knowledge about the golf swing. Um, So... You know that that's the balancing act you have to play here. Um, So if someone does want to make a swing change, you would assume that a good time to do it would be like where we are right now is on the off season.
0: Correct. I mean, the first thing I always look at is is it is it relevant to what they're trying to achieve. So, And that, that was one of the points, as you you were speaking, I was coming up with my, in my mind, is lots of golfers, when they start to go down the rabbit hole of mechanics, they start to look at stuff that might not be relevant at all to performance, or not. it certainly might not be to them. In fact, if they implemented it, it might be harmful. So lots of golfers will pick up the latest magazine, maybe a new book comes out on mechanics, or maybe they watch something on, on TV and they...
1: It's all you, YouTube well, yeah, now, I it's a, <laughs> magazines. I mean, it's all, I mean, essentially what we're saying here is don't go on YouTube and, and listen to 40 different swing uh, yeah. tips.
0: <laughs> I mean, you could you could pick something up on YouTube that might apply to maybe 10, 20, 30 percent and people people think, oh, this must be the way of doing it and they start to try and do it and it might actually be harmful. So in my groups, I have almost 100,000 people in, in one group now and I see all the time people post their swings and then they get a flurry of advice from people. And 99% of the advice is stuff that is – it relates to textbook. So someone might have a bent left arm at impact. And so we know that's not textbook in air quotes, but you'd have to even question, well, whose textbook are we following here? But that player, I might look at that player and say, well, yeah, that player is bending their left arm because if they didn't, they would shank it and they would fat it. So in many cases, that flaw in air quotes is actually helping them. And if they were to try and change that, they might might actually cause injury or hit it worse. So again, there was a guy who was shanking it. He was folding his left arm at impact. And so if you were to straighten someone's left arm, they hit it more heel side. That's just, it's just geometry. If you lengthen that lead arm, <laughs> that, that heel is going to shift outwards. And so they would heal it more. So that guy was already shanking it. And you had a bunch of guys telling him, you need to straighten that lead arm. And so I would look at that as, well, why isn't that guy straightening the lead arm? And then you could say, well, he's not rotating his body like a tall pro. So that's why he's not straightening his lead arm. Why isn't he rotating? Well, that's because his face is open in the backswing. Why is his face open in the backswing? Because his grip was weak as hell. So I look at it in terms of a cause and effect. And so you have to make sure before you make any swing change, is it actually relevant to, to performance? And is it going to help you? Because even some things that are relevant to performance might not help you unless you've got other preceding things in place.
1: And I think if people get one thing out of this episode, I I would really highlight that. The the more I've learned about the golf swing from guys like you or Shaheen Nakhchivani or Andrew Rice over the last few years is that there's so much great information on the golf swing out there now. And everyone has their different methods and theories. I get that. You know, a lot of swing coaches are very um, confident in their approach to the game. Um, So it's not that we don't have a lot of good information about how to swing a golf club properly, but I think you nailed it on the head is the issue is relevancy. Um, You could go on to a number of resources online that are providing you technical information about the golf swing, and they might not be wrong. In general, like meaning, the advice is solid, but it might not be relevant to the unique matchups you have in your golf swing.
0: Well, think about the craze of of shallowing, right? Everybody talks about shallowing, but the problem is, if 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 you shallow a, a sh- the shaft of a golfer. They will, that opens the face and it tends to send the path a little bit more into out. So for someone who already has an open face, if they're trying to implement shallowing, they're going to hit it. Yeah, they're going to hit it so far right. And that's why then golfers say, oh, I can't, I can't do it. That's because one, if they did it, they hit it worse. Or number two, their brain resists it because they, the brain, their instinct understands it. you know, what? if I shallow this, I'm not going to hit a functional shot. So it just steepens the shaft again.
1: Yeah. So you know, that would be like my number one caution statement is that, um, first of all, I, I I don't think I think continuity in the golf swing is incredibly important. Like I, I've tweeted this statement out probably several times over the last 10 years, and I really believe it. And, and I, I my point is, is that you could get 10 different great. Um, swing instructors to analyze your swing, if you show them a video of your swing. And they probably, based on what I know about swing instructors at this point, they probably all would have a different way to communicate the fix. Maybe they're all arriving at the same thing, but they would probably tell you 10 different things on what to do. And the point I try and make to golfers that is that if you listened to all 10 of those voices at once, you have no chance of improving. My advice is to work with one voice or one pattern and stick with that because continuity is incredibly important. And as you said earlier, relevancy is important. So you want to make sure it's relevant and you stick with it. Um, So you know a lot about motor learning and what it takes to change a golf swing. And I want to give people, I'm always about managing expectations. So let's, let's assume that someone has... Found a swing coach or a new method to swing that is relevant to them and is going to help them. Um, let's manage people's expectations and, and, and walk them through what you believe is, is is a good process to make those changes. Like what's, I mean, step one is obviously you're going to have to diagnose what's going wrong and the change and then give some drills like what's the process that people should be prepared for. Yeah, so for?
0: once you have a swing change in mind, the process for changing is basically changing behavior and we actually had a a dog trainer come over because I've got a new puppy and we're looking to change his behavior. Uh, he's uh, he's making our house a little bit of a toilet at the moment. And so this guy comes in. He actually comes into your house and trains. And as he was talking last night, I was just thinking, this is exactly the same as training a golfer. So what he was talking about is you don't take the dog straight to the dog park and then try and change their behavior because it's so distracting there's a leaf going on there's other there are other dogs there are new noises there are cars going by so he said what you need to do is you need to take away the distractions and that's why he's built his business around coming into your house and so the golfing equivalent of that you don't go onto the golf course and try and change your swing there are just too many distractions your brain is distracted by the target it's distracted by your playing partners it's distracted by your need or your desire to hit a good shot and when all those things in, are in place changing behavior is almost impossible because the way that the brain works it links up certain things it will link up your movement with the focus on the target with the pressure of the playing and and the more layers you add to that the harder it is to make the change you have to peel back the layers peel back the onion so the first thing i do is i take away the difficulty So when making a change, the first stage is to take away the target. Uh, That could be physically. So I could take someone into a net or I could, if I'm in the simulator, I'll turn the screen off. Um, for some players like myself, I've learned to just mentally do that, take away the target. I can shift where I focus. So I can sh- I can shift my focus onto my swing. Lots of players don't have that ability. They're not very controlled with their focus. You need to actually do it manually. Uh, take away pressure as well. So making sure you're in a situation where there aren't people watching. Because sometimes there will be people, uh, they, they will want to impress people around them, even if it's not a conscious thing. That might even be me. So in the initial stages of making a change with a, a player, I might say, can you try that for a little bit? I'm just going to go off for five minutes. I'll be back in a moment. And I make, I make them know that, look, I'm not leaving you here. I just want to give you a little bit of free reign to try this without the pressure of trying to impress me. And that, that is so powerful. It's so difficult to do as a coach because you're, you're essentially leaving them for a couple of minutes. But it's so powerful in them making that change.
1: So step one is essentially you're giving yourself kind of a blank canvas to restart. And, you know, sometimes people will be doing this outdoors and, and they can't help themselves but look at what the golf balls is doing. But I, I think. Yeah, or yeah, or just swing without it. Um, do you think video feedback is, is good? I mean, I, I, all the swing changes I've made. Um back from even my junior golf days we're done with video you know we get to the feel versus real thing i mean are you a big proponent of people videoing themselves just to make sure that they're actually getting closer to what is prescribed yeah, if
0: it's done if it's done correctly yeah i mean video can be a rabbit hole in itself and you get people too obsessed with things and too obsessed with minutiae that mm-hmm. you know due to how video parallax works it's not it's not worth going down that rabbit hole but yeah if they do it if they do it correctly, if their brain functions that way as well, lots of people look at video and they just it's, it's like me learning directions verbally. I just once the moment you tell me the first direction, it's in one year out the other. So it depends how, <laughs> how someone learns definitely. But, yeah, the first stage for me is take away the difficulty, take away the target, take away the ball, take away the ground sometimes, you know, just by teeing it up a little bit. So it just makes the whole task easier and then it allows that change to take. Take place.
1: So then what's the next, I mean, so that's the basic first step of saying like, okay, I want you to change this pattern in your golf swing and you can expect for it to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it's not something you're used to. And you kind of have to work through that discomfort. And I think taking away the feedback, um, because that can really discourage people in the beginning, I, I would assume. And I know that that was some of the problems Definitely, I had yeah. is, is having the patience to go through it. Um, what do you think is like a reasonable time frame for someone to make that first change where they say like, okay, Um, Is it going to be a few weeks of me maybe hitting balls three times a week for 20 minutes? Like, I know there's no exact formula, but like, what's a reasonable expectation for that that first change to take place? If they don't
0: make it in one swing, (laughs) if they don't make it in one swing, (laughs) I know it's a mental error. Now, the caveat to that is the difference between making the swing change and performing with it, okay? If they, they should be able to make the swing change in one or two swings. Now... Obviously, I, the, the other stuff is the comfort part. So when they're not making it, mm-hmm. I, I say, I'll push them mentally. I'll say, you need to do it more. You need to do it more. You need to do it more. So until we get where we want. But in terms of performing with it, that could take, depending on the swing change, it could take um, a few months to get performance really good. Now, what I would expect is with at least within the lesson, they do it correctly. So what I mean by that, say I'm changing someone's angle of attack, right, with the driver, they're hitting five degrees down, I want them to hit level or even slightly up. They should at least get those quad numbers to be zero or positive within the lesson. Now, that doesn't mean the ball is going to go where they want it to, but I just want to see that that number changes. The performance will come back later the more reps they do. So even in my own game, one of the swing changes I made was to go from five down with the angle of attack to five up. And the first session I did that, I could get the angle of attack positive, but it was maybe about two or three out of ten swings were positive. After about a week, all of them were positive, but my ball was still going everywhere. So that's a
1: everywhere. good point. You're, just, you're, you're wanting to see like something budge a little bit in the right direction, not necessarily all or nothing, but at least, like you said, a small percentage of those swings heading in the exactly. right direction. Something
0: has to budge within the first few swings or should budge within the first few swings. Getting in the right zone might take a full hour. Getting it repeatable might take a month, and then performing with it really well, it it can take a long time. It took me about three months before my positive angle of attack with the driver performed better than my negative angle of attack.
1: When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now, here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think that's that was kind of the number I was going to say is kind of like three months before you're on the golf course seeing positive changes. Um, I, I view when you're making a change anything like maybe you're learning a new shot you're doing something different on the golf course like i view it as like this i guess you could call it like a pyramid so like the bottom part is like what you're suggesting is like that first step where you're just literally trying to make some type of change in the right direction and then as you get further and further down the road with your proficiency there's different layers you have to conquer um, one would, be, I think one of the first steps would be like, all right, showing proficiency in practice where you're actually trying to make that shot. So like, let's say for me, I, I was going from this incredibly vertical Swing plane that was hitting these, like it was kind of trying to hit maybe a controlled block, maybe a fade. I don't know what I was doing, but I was trying to hit this draw now. So I wanted to see that on the range. I was actually starting to see the draw happen. And then the next step is like, all right, can I do that in the context of a golf course where you're playing, you know, call it a practice round where you're, like you said, you have that distraction of. Or the the different context of having the pressure of actually hitting a shot on a golf course and then seeing that you can do it. So you're kind of like slowly making your way up the pyramid to the point at the top, which I believe is like the most pressure, which is like, all right, you're in the middle of a round. There's some pressure. Maybe you're playing well and now you're worrying about score or something like that. Are you comfortable enough to make that new swing? And making your way through that pyramid or whatever you want to call it, peeling the layers back on that onion, um, is probably going to take months. Um, I think that's a, that's a reasonable expectation of, of putting some work in. A- again, we want to make sure it's the right kind of work that's relevant to your swing. But let's say you are on that right path. Um, I think a lot of golfers should understand that because you want to have the time to do it. Like you said, if you're someone who's playing tournaments, or you know you're you're not giving yourself that opportunity to make that change, then maybe it's not a good idea to do it because it could take that long. Uh, yeah, does that suppose make sense? going back
0: to that question, who's not a good candidate for making swing changes? Well, if someone doesn't ever hit the range, or they don't even have five minutes a night to make practice swings in their back garden, yeah,
1: forget Probably
0: it. <laughs> it's not going to be that the best idea. I, I'm not going to say it's not possible. You know, there are simple concepts like the nail drill that everybody kind of knows me for. You can, there, there are ways of changing the swing motion really simply, very similar to the nail drill, or I, I call it the axe drill when I do it this way. I turn the club so it looks like an axe. So you turn the club 90 degrees closed. We do it at chest high. And I just say, imagine you're chopping a tree with an axe. And everybody makes a nice looking swing. It's the shape of a golf swing. It's, it's on plane, it's straight back, straight through. And then we gradually tilt that down, just like a, a rooftop will, would tilt 45 degrees. And then all of a sudden they look like they have a golf swing. So there are ways of taking a player with very little time and giving them an overarching idea that builds the swing shape in a way that is just tapping into their instinct, really. They're not having to learn mechanical pieces for that. But when we start to dive into the weeds of, of swing mechanics and we start to change certain positions or, you know, you're going into angle of attack changes, things like that, that might be a little bit more difficult and require more time, more practice, more dedication. So you have to kind of weigh up whether that's a route you want to go.
1: Yeah, I just I, I view it as um whenever I'm trying to make a change and I don't make enormous changes anymore, but there are things that I'm changing in my game over the winter. Like a few years ago, um I I was trying to, you know, despite hitting a draw for most of my golf shots, probably four or five years ago, I was trying to hit a fade with my driver and it just you know, it was it was a bad idea. I thought I could control it more. So I I, I it took me a winter to go back and trust coming into out with the driver again, and then going through the springtime of seeing it on the golf course. And then eventually like when I play, I play in tournaments um, quite a bit um, trusting it then. And one thing I would tell people, and this gets back to the managing expectations part of this is that you can't really be afraid to fail at it because maybe fails, not the right word, but at least you, you can expect to have some outcomes that are less than desirable. Um, so for example, like for me going from that vertical swing plane to a more into out draw pattern, you know, there were times when I went on the golf course hitting this horrible hook and I, I couldn't do anything to get out of it. And that was just part of the process I had to go through. And then eventually I would go back to the range and try and recalibrate and see what I was doing wrong and try and figure it out. But again, I was working within that framework that I had decided on that I was going to be doing that into out path and not trying to go back and forth between these two different swing thoughts. Um, well, here's something so, that
0: it, from a teacher's point of view, if, if you're on your own trying to make that change, say you're a slicer, you're swinging 10 degrees left, and you want to make a more in-to-out swing, lots of players will judge their success based on what the, what the ball is doing, right? Was that a good shot? Was that a bad mm-hmm. shot? That's not how you should judge your success, at least not initially. So what I will do is I'll use my GC quad. I will replace the golf ball with a foam golf ball and then we will hit shots and the only goal is to make that number positive you know we might do that through various means either directly with something like the nail drill or something in the backswing or something in the downswing but regardless the goal is let's see that path number be positive so when you're using a foam ball it doesn't matter to that player then if they hit the shank or the toe or they fat it they're only happy they're, they're only looking at did that number was that number positive. And so you get a lot higher success rate there because the player, we wait until they're seven to eight times that positive out of 10. And then that player happy. Whereas I know that probably only one of those shots was actually good in terms of the ball flying off. But we got the goal. All right, so I suppose that is the most important thing is choose your goal when you're making a change. Make it the goal make the change the goal not the result necessarily because those two might be competing initially then the next step would be to, to layer on more things. So if that player was achieving their in-to-out swing path, but they were hitting everything fat, we might add something to improve that. Maybe I'd have a, add a divot board or a towel behind the ball or something. So we just layer on more things. And I wait basically until I know, right, this player is now hitting functional golf shots. And then we bring back a real golf ball.
1: So let's say someone, um, has gone through the change where like they've ingrained this new pattern. Um, how do you, and again, I I think I always want to make this clear is that it's, you know, there are some golfers who are are able to make a lot of swing changes on their own, whatever the case may be. Maybe they have like really great athletic ability. I've I've seen it happen where golfers can be self-taught and figure these things out. And I've probably done in that half in my golf life versus working with an instructor but I do think I mean is your main recommendation I know not everyone can work with an instructor and obviously like guys like you have online programs where you're helping people figure this out through skill-based drills Um, but based on your teaching experience through the years I mean do you think players have a better chance of making these changes and sticking with them if they go down the lesson route, assuming they find a pro that that is good to work with and can diagnose their tendencies, like would you tell people that they've got a better chance? going at it with lessons versus just going at it on their own.
0: hundred percent. I mean, as an instructor, I can diagnose often in one shot what they, what they're doing because people are actually very consistent. So within one swing, I'm like, okay, this player has a toe pattern. They have an out in path. So they're going to suffer with pulls and slices. So I can diagnose their patterns usually within one to two shots. Um, And then I, I would know what interventions are possible with that player, there's not one way to fix a player. You know, if I want to make them more in to out, I could change hip turns, I could change lead arm position, I could change their sequence coming down there, are lots of different routes, I could just give them a concept as well. Um, and then the biggest part of having a coach is I can take you through the process. The, the step-by-step process to get you to make the change and i can push your ass <laughs> as well i mean i, I it, it's rare but i can pull some stuff out of the bag on the lesson T that makes someone change change instantly um you know it, it could even be the case of saying to that person look you're paying me 200 bucks an hour and you're not even trying here make this next swing and try for me. And then bang, they do it. And then I I relax my face and I put my hand on their shoulder and I say, that's okay. See, I wasn't really mad with you. I don't care if you do the change or not, but I knew that it was just a motivational thing for you. And so what I want you to see is that when you're making a change, at least initially, you're going to have to try like that. I I use the the gun to the head analogy. I say, imagine you've got a gun to your head, and someone is going to pull the trigger if you don't make the swing change we're trying to do. You don't have to hit a good shot, but you have to make that new motion, or that or that trigger is going to get pulled. And every single time that person makes the new motion, so it's it's literally just a focus thing. So I can use lots of psychological tactics. Um, I can see where the blocks are. Maybe it's a physical limitation. Maybe someone's coming to me and they're trying to do something and they just physically can't, and I can identify that as well. Maybe it's a preceding technical cause. So someone says, well, I'm trying to shallow it, but I can't. And I say, well... Yeah, that's because your face is forty-five degrees open in the backswing, more open than than standard, and uh, and so you know your brain's resisting shallowing it because it knows it'll hit an awful shot. So we need to correct that first. So looking at cause and effect. I mean, there are a million routes I could go down as why is a, a working with a pro is is better. We have all this experience. We can basically just fast track your success.
1: Yeah, and what, what what's crazy about golf? and I I never quite understood this where it's different than like other activities. Like for example, like, If you wanted help with your taxes you would see an accountant if you had some legal questions you would go see a lawyer you know there's all these experts we have in different parts of life whether it's professional recreational and and a lot of people will seek out help but there's something about the golf swing and i don't quite get it where golfers are just willing to accept information from lay people who have zero understanding of the golf swing in general and more importantly all the unique matchups that are necessary to make a golfer successful. And I often go back to the joke of that random guy at the golf range, whereas golfers are just like open books. Like they are just for the most point, uh, at most points they're just willing to accept swing advice from just about anyone. And I just think that leads people down this, you know, changing lanes in a traffic jam scenario where they're just constantly making changes and they're not achieving any progress. So, That's why I've always believed, despite the fact that I'm not a swing instructor and I don't talk about the swing on my golf site, I'm here to help you with other parts of the game. But despite that, I still am a huge proponent of people working with um, swing professionals, mainly because they can make the process of these changes more efficient, meaning that if if you went on it at your own, it's possible you might have success, but it probably will take you longer or or you just might be on this constant search for a new swing that never ends and you never really reach your full potential as a golfer. Whereas I think if you do get a series of lessons with someone you like and they give you that work and they give you that feedback. And like you said, they kind of kick your ass a little bit here and there and push you, but they're giving you a plan, a framework. And I just think that's, you know, when you're trying to change a habit in your life, no matter what you're doing, um, it just makes that process more efficient if you're getting help from someone who knows what they're doing and who's done it before. A so drowning
0: man it, will grab onto any hand, <laughs> any hand that's trying to save them. Exactly. And that, Unfortunately, golfers everywhere—they're just drowning, right? So they're, they're they're hitting it horribly because golf is such a difficult game. Even the best players in the world are hitting it horribly in, to a certain extent, um, and so.
1: Well, rel- relative yeah. to their skill level, they go through the same problems that you know regular golfers do. When they say, like, oh, you know, I, I shot a 76 on Wednesday. I felt like my, my swing was falling apart. And then they're in the winner's circle on Sunday. Like, this is all relative to each golfer in, in the world.
0: And you, um, you ask a player, just, even if you're asking a, a tour player, how many good shots did you hit out there today? He would say uh, 3%, 97% were some, some level of bad. They had something <laughs> wrong. So it doesn't matter how good you get, there's always going to be issues. And when there are issues, there's always going to be someone there with a Advice. The unfortunate thing is, if you're getting advice from amateurs, ninety-five percent of that advice, as a rough off the top of my head number, is going to hurt you. It's not even gonna be neutral. Ninety-five percent of it is gonna hurt you. I see it every day on the forums that I run. Amateurs giving advice, I look at it, and I say, if you implement that, you're gonna get worse there's maybe 3% of advice that is actually valuable that could help a person. 2% of it might have absolutely nothing to do with with what they're doing at all.
1: (laughs) So to recap a few things we've said here, like the first part about making a swing change is like, are the changes actually relevant to to a goal? Like, does it make sense for the matchups in your swing, the change you're going to make? Um, I think we both agree that, you got to give yourself some time. I think several months is a, is a reasonable expectation based on what we've talked about to going from that initial stage of just changing the pattern and maybe not worrying so much about what the golf ball is doing or not even hitting the ball versus, you know, bringing it on the course and then going through that whole process could take Mm -hmm. several months. Um, And I think we both agree that working with a, a qualified swing professional not some guy at the range or someone on a golf forum is, 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 is probably a better idea to make that process efficient. Um, and, and one thing that like, I just, I want to bring up continuity again, because, um, one of my close friends who's a swing instructor, um, unfortunately he's not the, uh, he was the assistant pro at my golf club. Now he finally got a head j- pro job somewhere else, but I just want to share this story anecdotally because I think it just happens all the time. And I want to prevent this, people listening to this from doing this to their swing instructors so i was talking to him in the uh, the golf shop and then one of his uh one of the golfers who he's working with comes in who he gives lessons to every week (laughs) this guy pulls out his phone and he pulls up um a gg you know uh not that i'm not trying to talk bad about george gankus or gg swing tips or whatever he calls himself i actually think he's a really smart guy who knows a lot about the golf swing. But um, this guy was taking lessons from my friend and my friend is a really good instructor and he, he shows him an Instagram video of what George is teaching. And he's like, what do you think about this Adam? Should I be doing this? And I, I just kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to interject, but, this is the problem we have now because there's so much swing information out there and it's accessible to anyone at any moment. Is it makes it almost impossible for that continuity element because I do believe if you're going to make this change, you do have to put the horse blinders on. Um, if you're working with the swing uh, professional, you got to trust what they're saying and do the work. I have it all the time. Um, I had first- I had
0: some someone. I mean. And I, I wouldn't say all the time. Most of the people who come to me, they understand the learning process. But I do have players who come to me. I give them a plan. I give them a framework. And maybe a week later, they come back and they say, well, what, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, h- how long have you been practicing what we talked about? You, you haven't put... And they say, well, it's not It's not working yet. And I say, well, what define not working for me. And I... I, I get them to send me their video, and I say, well, it, it is working. You're making the change. And he's like, yeah, but it's not performing yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, we have to recalibrate a few little things later on. But then if you're jumping around to a different theory <laughs> immediately, it's, it's down to that delayed gratification, I think. People are constantly searching for that one thing that's going to work absolutely immediately now. And there are things that exist like that, definitely. But if you're looking for a long term plan, you're going to have to have some level of delayed gratification as well. If you're making a a major swing overhaul that's going to really help you, you know, three months down the line, you're going to have to delay that gratification just for a little while. Make the change first and the performance will come back. If it's one out of ten now, that's okay because in a week's time, it'll be two or three out of ten. In a month's time, it'll be six or seven out of ten. In three months time, you'll be nine out of ten. It just takes that time to do it.
1: And uh, obviously, patience is an incredible part of the process. But at the same time, like, I also think, and this gets back to a topic that I'm constantly trying to battle with golfers, the way I try and communicate with them through what I'm doing on Practical Golf, is that there's also a... um, when people think about the end result their the goal or what, you know, the, the, the swing change is going to get them, sometimes that fantasy of the type of golf that they're going to be playing is different from reality. Um, so, for example, like I always thought I was good enough to be a scratch golfer, and I assumed that getting there was going to require me making a ton of birdies and hunting down pins and, and pulling off all these spectacular shots, And I remember the first time I actually played with like a really legit golfer. It was a guy, I think he played for Florida State University. I played with this guy and I just, you know, he shot like a very unimpressive two under par 70 on a difficult course. And it really like changed my thinking about a lot of things in golf because I just, after the round, I'm like, this guy didn't really do anything spectacular. Like, yeah, he hit a few shots within 10, 15 feet, made a couple of putts, but the rest of it was just very boring routine golf. And I think that's one of the problems that golfers have is that their expectations are so misaligned with what better golf actually is going to look like. So if someone came to you as a 20 handicap and you get them to a 10, you know, it's it, again, it's not going to be this swashbuckling, like impressive display of golf. It's probably going to be like a few less top shots, a few less chunk chips.
0: <laughs> you could get someone from a 20 handicap to a 10 just by shifting their ground contact an inch further forward yeah that
1: could be the difference <laughs> I Exactly, mean, it could be
0: literally as little as that or you could move their face strike half an inch quarter an inch away from the heel or you could improve their club face if you improve someone's club face presentation by one degree on average at the tall level that could be the difference between missing the um Uh, losing your card and and being number one in the world you know it's it's such golf is such a small marginal gains game and we can talk about that in a different a a different podcast certainly but yeah to your point i mean you you can get people on the lesson tee saying i need to fix my slice and you say okay can you hit a few shots for me and then they hit 8 out of 10 right down the fairway, and then they slice one off 30 30 or 40 yards to the right. And they say, see?
1: (laughs) It's still there. Well,
0: well, no, you just hit 90% fairways, and you missed one bad shot. Your expectations are off. There's no swing in the world that is going to help you hit every single fairway. That is an impossible dream. So, yeah, you have to dig into what, what do people think is possible? What, what, are, they, what are they expecting here? If lots of players, they do think, oh, if I fix my swing, in air quotes, fix. Uh, if I fix my swing, that means I will hit every single shot down the middle and I will hit every single green. That is not golf. That That is not a ch- an achievable goal. It just won't happen.
1: I think, yeah, I so, think the word I like to get rid of for people, and I used it myself a lot, is the word eliminate. I think that's a horrible word mm. for golfers because, you know, when someone says, oh, we're going to eliminate your slice. No, <laughs> we're not because um, that's just not – possible like
0: we can reduce it or switch it out for a different pattern but we can't eliminate it
1: but then eventually let's say you got them to a draw pattern like well then they're going to hook some too exactly Um, so i think you know let's we're approaching probably the end of the episode here because we could go on forever but i think the, the the ribbon on this conversation is that what your better swing pattern looks like is really a reduction, or I believe is a reduction of those huge mistakes, meaning you're going to hit some good shots, obviously. you know Maybe you'll hit a few where you, you flush it and you're, you're hitting it exactly where you wanted it to. But for the most part, I think a reasonable expectation for any swing changes is to move more into that functional territory where, like let's say, if you were a slicer of the ball – well now you're not hitting this 40 yard banana slice that goes out of bounds sometimes or doesn't really travel far perhaps if you kept that left to right pattern um the the curvature is not as extreme and maybe you're not hitting as many of those foul balls that miss way right or you hit this horrible pull to the left that that's really what better golf is is that you're you're especially for club level golfers recreational players who are looking to lower their handicap it's really a reduction of of huge errors i believe it is is the process of, of getting better um not ex- not going in thinking like oh if i put this work in i'm going to be you know placing the ball wherever i want firing at pins like that's just not how it works and i hate to burst people's bubbles but you know if you want to be someone who's shooting in the 90s and maybe get down to the mid 80s or the low 80s you don't need to do that like adam said it could just be removing a few chunk shots or a few balls that go out of bounds so um i think to me that would be a reasonable goal for anyone who wants to make a swing change. Is like how can i reduce these big errors start hitting some more quality shots and keep my swing in functional territory um that that yeah. to me is a very reasonable goal for putting in maybe two to three months of work in.
0: Yeah, I think a good way to summarize this, this whole conversation is have the right to change. Make, make sure it's relevant. Yep. You know, don't pick random, random stuff off other people. Uh, have a process in place to make the change, you know, a step-by-step process, which may include making everything easier, you know, taking the target away, working in the net and gradually layering those things on. And have good expectations and time as well. You know, you need to understand this will take time. You should be able to make the change pretty immediately. Um, certainly within an hour lesson but to make it functional to ingrain it to the point where you're not thinking about it anymore that's going to take months because the brain literally has to rewire itself and in terms of the expectations you understand that there's nothing that's going to make you a perfect golfer like you said
1: all right i think let's let's just stop it right there because we're at what are we at like 50 minutes here i mean we could go on for another few hours um so let's do our plugs where can they where can they find you? what can they buy from you all that good stuff Adam.
0: Well, on this topic, my Next Level Golf program will be the best. So www.adamyounggolf.com and you will see Next Level Golf. I actually go through a 10-step process of how to change your swing and I talk about all the different barriers that people have as well. So, you know, if if a person has physical limitations or say they're able to do it on the range but not on the course or say they're able to do it without a ball but not a ball, the type of things to look for. Um, And obviously, there's a lot of technical information there but it's not random it's all if you have this impact fault then this technical information will relate to you so it's far better than doing it on your own and picking it based on a, a perfect model at the time so
1: awesome and Once again, this is John Sherman. I own Practical Golf. Um, You can check me out at practical-golf.com or chat with me on Twitter at Practical Golf. And we have a forum on our site too now where you can kind of join in on the conversation. So that's actually where I got um, one of the ideas for our names for the Saving Par podcast was from one of our forum members. It was kind of floating around in my head and he's like, I think you should name it that. So I know I'm making a strong case for that, but hopefully... When we record episode three, we're going to have that name for these people. So thanks for listening and uh, we will see you next time.